We've been doing a series in Matthew 11, 28 through 30 on Jesus saying, come unto me. We're going to talk this morning about the yoke and what it means from this passage from Hebrews 7. Begin reading at verse 15 through verse 25. Hear the word of God. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the other hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such with an oath, without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were pre prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let me encourage you this morning as we begin, let's just pray together again uh, as this promise that if we draw near to God, he's going to reveal himself. That's twice in this passage. So let's draw near together. I encourage you to pray quietly for someone near you uh, to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. So take a moment and pray for anyone that's near you uh, that you can see or you came to church with to hear Jesus calling them today. So pray for them. Now take a moment that you'll be able to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. And take a moment and pray for me that as I speak, I can hear Jesus talking to me as I'm talking to you. So pray for me this morning. Jesus, we're so thankful this morning that although we are not good people, we're your people. And you never grow weary of talking to us and speaking to us and interceding for us. And so we come now with hope, hearts that want to be hopeful, but we want to admit we're fearful uh, or we're just so discouraged we don't really care. So Jesus, again, you know where we are today, but I pray that you'd surprise us with the good news of great joy the angel promise would come because you were born into this world for people like us. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Last Sunday, I used this introduction, and I felt like I messed it up, so I'm going to do it again. <laughs> the great thing about preaching, it's like cooking meals. You know, some week you make this same dish, and it's really good. And people go, man, that was so good. Some weeks you make it, and it's not good. <laughs> same ingredients, same things, and you go, oh, my gosh. 
Now, if you're in my position of a pastor, you, you cry, do over. I want a do over. <laughs> you know, want to, let's try that again. So the next time you make it, you go, same ingredient, same dish, and you taste it, and you go, friend, that's the best thing I've ever put in my mouth. So uh, the Word of God is the same. Uh, Jesus is the same forever and ever. We mess it up, but he constantly says, I'm going to let you try that again. So here's this uh, quote from an op-ed piece in the New York Times about a woman lamenting Simone Biles' uh, twisties. Here's what she writes. Losing the connection, it's heartbreaking to see this happen to Biles, whose strength and grace have been inspirational. But the twisties aren't unique to sports. Anyone who's ever tried to do something great has also experienced doubt, uncertainty, and the loss of faith. These are the struggles that make us human. Whether we respond to the yips with scorn and self-flagellation or with grace and acceptance says a lot about us as human beings. It is one thing to pray for excellence on the vault or the uneven bars, but embracing one's vulnerability, the very frailty that makes us human, well, that demands a very particular brand of wisdom and humility. I call it Olympian. As we walk with Jesus, and even in his day, when they walked here, there a lot of people who were disconnected from their head uh, and their heart. They felt the pressure of the Roman control of their city. None of us have ever had to live anywhere where we're being ruled by another company, a country, or a power that's evil and corrupt. But you can imagine living in uh, the time when Jesus walked the earth, and he grew up in it for 30 years in Nazareth, where the Romans are ruling, and they were not kind, and they were not fair, and they were corrupt. So corrupt that they corrupted Levi, this wonderful little boy who grew up Jewish, and then decides he wants to work for them. So he crosses over and betrays the very thing that was most precious to them, their Judaism, and he becomes a tax collector of all things. You can't live life very long and things will happen after you've really had some level of success or accomplishment that comes out of you out of left field and it throws you. Um, it just breaks your heart or it causes confusion and you lose this connection between the heart that God's given you and you move into your head and you start thinking and living your life out of your head out, out, instead of living out of the good heart that Jesus has given us. And you sort of internally give up. So that's why you have a lot of people who call themselves Christians who go to church and they have no power because <laughs> there's no power if you just live up here. There's no joy if you just live up here because unwittingly you're trying to make your life work through your own effort, your own ability, your own discernment. And internally, you're imploding. So let me give you a couple of illustrations of this to help us. Um, my father, uh, Jim Godwin, grew up in low country, South Carolina. Uh, and uh, he was a really good athlete um, in, in high school. Uh, back when he graduated from high school, he was, they only went through the 11th grade, so he was 16, uh, would go on to NC State University. But, his high school team was the championship team. Now, for those of you who know high school football or sports, you have different divisions based on the size of the school. He came from a small, a small school, and uh, think of the town in a second. Uh, and uh, they won the state championship, 1A. 
So, okay. So the biggest high school in the state of South Carolina, in Columbia, 5A, big high school, invited them to play at a kickoff game, a startup game, before the season actually started. So my dad remembered how excited he was traveling from his little town to Columbia to play under the lights in Columbia against this 5A team. All right, so they're going up against the biggest, baddest, the best in, in South Carolina. He said, we start off initially, it was really great, but it wasn't long before we realized they were faster, they were bigger, they were stronger. And he said, son, we had this great running back named Leroy. And Leroy was fast, he was quick on his feet, he could shake and bake, he knew how to get rid of people, but he was getting crushed. Now my dad was running plays into the huddle. Back then, that's the way you did it, different players would run in. And so he would run into the huddle and call a play for Leroy. And Leroy would get the ball run and immediately, bam, he got crushed. Uh, and, the, and the coach kept sending in plays for Leroy and he kept getting crushed. So um, my dad runs in a play, gives it to uh, uh, the play to the quarterback. The quarterback calls the play and he looks over at Leroy and Leroy goes. And so the quarterback, what do you do? So he calls another play. They run the play. My dad runs out, the other guy runs a play in. The guy says to the quarterback, run this play, it's for Leroy. Calls the play, quarterback looks over at Leroy, Leroy goes, mm -mm. you know, and so uh, he runs the play. And then my dad runs the play in, and, uh, and then Leroy does it again. At this point, the coach is so frustrated, he yells at the quarterback, Tommy, give Leroy the ball. And Tommy yells back at coach, he says, coach, Leroy doesn't want the ball. <laughs> um, a lot of times, God is calling us to do things, to trust him, to go forward. But when you've had your heart crushed, when you have a spiritual concussion from life in the church where you've seen bad stuff or bad stuff's happened to you, it could cause you to back away. Some of you know the band and you know the, the song, um, Shot Through the Heart and You're to Blame. You give love a bad name. For a lot of us, we could say that about Christians in our experience. Uh, we could say that about churches we've been in. Uh, we could just say it about the church in general. It's hard to be in the Boston area and not know some of the history of the churches here and some of the things that have gone down. And people would say, I'll never darken the door of a church again. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to say I don't believe, but I'm not going to trust again. I don't want to be a part of a community or anything that goes on in God's name because my heart has been shot through. And to me, love is bad. Okay, so what Jesus is saying in this passage is, come unto me. All you who are brokenhearted and weary. And I'm going to heal your heart so that you want to be back in a relationship with me where you're serving other people in a way that I designed for you to live and to have the joy of giving yourself away to people in the way you've known before. And I'm going to heal you because here's the great news. Jesus came, spread out on the cross, nailed to the cross, and he was nailed through the heart. He was nailed through the heart so he could give love a great name. When we live out of the truth of the yoke that Jesus is inviting us to live out of, the cross becomes so precious to us. We were talking in our adult ed class 
to this morning about what it means to boast in the Lord. And Paul says, learn to boast in the cross and its power. And I want to bring you incredibly good news this morning. Not only does Jesus want to heal you, he wants you back engaged, walking with him, bearing his yoke, so that other people can know how much they are loved. Because through you, they're, they're discovering who Jesus really is. Wow. To see that happen in parents, in a marriage, in friendships, in a church is what we've been praying for, that we would begin to experience together revival. Now, the thing that Jesus is showing us is he's saying, here's my heart. I'm gentle and lowly. Now, again, because it's so easy because of our educational system and the way we think. We think about heart as emotions, right? Head is intellect. That's the way we think about it. And so when anybody starts talking about heart, we go, there he goes, a little psycho babble, you know, you know, a little sloppy agape. Uh, you know, he's going to talk about feelings and about tears. Oh my gosh, you know. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but the reality is Jesus, who had the purest heart, the most beautiful heart that ever walked the earth, he cried a lot. He wept a lot. And you never saw a disconnect between his heart and his head. But the heart is the central animating place in who we are. Your heart tells us who you are. That's why when I meet with people, watch God heal people, for me to be able to see their heart, not their complaints, not their bitterness, not their resentments, everything that's going crazy in their life, and they begin to get that, that sense of humility and say, I really want what Jesus wants for me. I want to take what he's trying to give to me, and I don't want to miss it. Then that's who that person really is. And that's why the writer to the uh, New York Times, she says, anybody who gets to the place where they show vulnerability and weakness and frailty, it is Olympian. <laughs> it's Olympic. It's gold medal. It's like, ooh, here we go. And that's what God wants to teach us over and over. Blessed are the Lord's spirit, spirit, heirs, is the kingdom. So I'm going to back up before we go to look at the text a little bit. Um, here's the way that w the enemy comes after us. And this is going to go right to the heart. Um, the enemy's going to come to you and say, look at what life has dealt you. Look at where you are. Look at who you are. And here's the big question that crushes people. Does God really love you? Look at you. You're a mess. <laughs> Look at you, you're a big failure. Look at you, you're pretending to be somebody, and yet actually inside you know, and I know, um, that you feel like a big fraud. You see, it's right at that point, I want you to hear Jesus say to you, come, <laughs> come to me. I'm gentle and lowly. I'm not going to sit there and wag my finger at you. I'm going to open my arms and say, let me take you back. Let me heal you. Let me rebuild you. Let me help you start over. You know, when Peter blew it big time, and remember, uh, it's after the resurrection, and he's out fishing because the boys just had to get out and fish, do something, and it's at night, and he sees Jesus walk along the beach. Jesus is fixing breakfast. Um, he's cooking for him, and, and Peter sees him, 
And you know what Peter does? He jumps out of the boat because he's forgotten how bad he's messed up. But as I'm sure as he's swimming into the shore and comes up to Jesus, the shame of his failure was so huge. And yet we see Jesus say, come Peter, I'm gentle and I'm lowly. The way Jesus treats Peter there at the end of Gospel of John is one of the most powerful, poignant reminders of how God takes people who have been who have really screwed up or been screwed over, however, or both, and he restores them. Wow. That's what our God is about. Now, how do I know that's true? How do I know becoming wholehearted when Jesus says, come and I'm going to give you rest for your souls? He's talking about becoming wholehearted. He's coming to show your heart, show us his heart so that we can know the Father's heart. He wants to discover us to discover. And here's where the text for the day, Hebrews 7:25. It was a text that both uh, Matt and I are deeply blessed to have been under the ministry of Jack Miller, uh, Valerie and I, uh, Jack and Rosemary Miller. He loved Hebrews 7:25, And here's what it says, that he always, Jesus always lives to intercede for us. And he's able to save us to the uttermost. Completely. So no matter what you brought in here this morning, whatever you're dealing with, Jesus has come to save you completely. There's no part of your story, past, present, future, that he is not ready to redeem and restore and set you free. The question is, will you let him reach into your heart with his heart and set you free? Will you let him heal you so you can get back to you, say, Jesus, I want to go where you want to go. I want to live where you want me to live. I want to become whom you've made and redeemed me to be. Uh, one of our favorite movies in our family growing up with kids were younger, the animated, not the digitized, Lion King uh, has this great scene only in the animated version. So if you look for it in the digitized one, you won't see it. I'm sorry, they dropped it out. But you remember that the great lion, Zimba, uh, runs away. He got hammered. I mean, he got blindsided, didn't he, by Scar? Scar did a terrible thing and then blamed him for it. Um, and you might be carrying the guilt of what you've done or what's been doing to you so that you could say, that was awful, but I am so bitter and angry. And don't ask me to forgive them or her or him. And that scar on your soul is keeping you from living the life that God wants you to be. And remember what Simba does? He runs away. <laughs> and you're here today because Jesus is pursuing you to bring you back. Much like Nala, remember in the story, she tracks her down and reminds her. But there's a great, great scene in there where Simba, in sadness and depression at night, is kneeling over the water and he's looking at himself. And he feels so bad about himself. And his father appears to him from the sky. So he sees his father's reflection. And Mufasa says to Simba, you are so much more than you have become. Now, can you hear Jesus saying to you, you're so much more than you've become. I'm so much better than you have even begun to understand. I have so much more for, in store for you that you could never imagine if you'll, you'll let me take you into my heart because I'm gentle and lowly and I want to heal you and restore you and help you. 
You remember Simba gets fired up, so Pumbaa and the Meerkat, Timon, you know, they start heading back towards the land. One of the funniest scenes in the movie, because we need a little comic relief right here, so I'm going to stick it in, uh, is uh, <laughs> Timon and, and uh, Simba and uh, Pumbaa show up, and they're looking over the land, and it's been totally ravaged. And Timon looks to Simba and Pumbaa and says, talk about your fixer-upper. <laughs> Well, I want to say to you this morning, you can say to me, if you knew my story and what I've been through, you can turn to your wife or your husband or your children and go, talk about a fixer-upper. <laughs> he needs a lot of help. He needs a lot of work. He needs a lot of things done for him so that he can be so much better than he is. But you know, this is where Jesus praying for us and interceding for us says, I don't need a lot of things to be done for me. I need a lot of things done in me to believe that I am who I am in Christ. And so do you. So do we. We need to believe that this is true. So when we think about, you know, Jesus finished work. He died on the cross. He was raised from the dead. We'll say that in the liturgy in just a moment. His finished work. So when Jesus gets to heaven... We, here he sits down at the right hand of God. And what you think is that Jesus' work is done. He's finished it. He's sitting down. He's chilling. He's chillaxing. He's kind of waiting for it all to come back so he can come back and get us. No. <laughs> Jesus' ministry actually became more passionate and involved because of where he is right now for us. He is interceding for you and me. He's pouring out his heart to the Father not out of help them because they're such a loser or a lost person. He says, Father, they're ours. They belong to us. And I want them to see the power of what I've done and who I am for them today. Yes, the work of Christ is finished. The atoning work of Christ is done. But every day we need to be reminded of it and to see it again and see it in new ways, particularly when we get knocked out by life. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to bring you back. What the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a lot of mystery here, but we get sort of an anthropomorphic view of it, is God saying, make real to Clyde the power of my blood. Make real to Clyde what I did on the cross for him. Make it real to him, Father. Help him to see it. Now, I, you know, again, at times, um, that reality just overwhelms me and it brings me back. So I'll give you one little experience where God brought me out of a, a, just a bad place. I was watching sort of a, a movie about the death of Christ. And this is not the passion. It was another one where off camera you couldn't see Jesus being nailed to the cross. But you heard the banging of the nails as he's being nailed. And, uh, and then the guy who's sort of the main character in the movie is just kind of sitting there and he just can't even look because it's so awful. And as they pick the cross up because he's laid down flat, as they pick it up, you don't, you're not seeing this, but you do see him being lifted up and being carried to a hole where they're gonna drop the cross into the ground. And the way they drop that in, and again, it's, you kind of shift away from it, but what you hear is this loud, loud And you, and you hear this loud cry of Jesus. And when I saw that through that movie, when I felt Jesus taking the weight of my sin, I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew he did that for me. 
And so this morning, my friends, would you allow yourself to come to that place again to realize that what Jesus' ministry, living ministry right now, is to show you what he did for you so that you can live it today. So you can be thrilled by it today. So that you can come back to the place and say, Jesus, I don't know why you love me, but I'm so glad you did. I'm so glad you did. The writer to the book that we're reading in conjunction with uh, our study, uh, Dana Ortland, it's chapter 8 on August the 8th in the book, but chapter 8 in Gentle and Lowly, he says, the intercession of Christ is one of the most neglected doctrines of our day. What is he doing now? In the book, he says, if you could hear Jesus praying in the next room for you, how would that make you feel? What would you think if you heard Jesus praying? But let me tell you, if you heard him praying, what he'd be praying is that his finished work would become the most precious thing about you. And you would be able to say, Jesus, you are my treasure because you made me a wretch into one of your treasures because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And when you live out of the heart that Christ has given you, the good heart that he's given you, you're saying, put me in. I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. Uh, when Paul was trying to encourage Timothy, Paul's at the end of, of his ministry life. And he's trying to encourage him in his ministry. So let's pretend like uh, Matt here is Timothy and I'm Paul. So Matt's sitting right there. And Matt's really reluctant. I don't know how much longer I can stay in London. I don't know how much I can do this work. I really feel like we need to come back to the States and do this and do that. Uh, but I want to encourage him. And so uh, I say to him this, I say, Matt, I want you to know that I am the worst of sinners. I am the absolutely worst of sinners. But let me tell you why God saved me. Now, if your theology is not good, if your theology is bad, you might think, well, the reason God saved Clyde was to start these churches, to do this work, to lead these people to Christ, to do this, to do, I can rehearse from that. All the things that God has used me to do. But notice what Paul says now, a good friend of mine says, this is the one error in the Bible. Because Paul says, I am the worst of sinners, <laughs> okay? And my friend says, I should say Clyde is the worst of sinners. Okay, I get it, okay? But Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the biggest loser here. And he says, the reason that God saved me, public sinner number one, is to show his unlimited patience with me. Wow. Can you walk out of here today and say, hey, let me tell you, I've got good news. God is so patient with me. He's so patient with us, Matt and Jim. Unlimited patience. That's the reason he saved me. That's it. Done. We're done. Not, yeah, he's going to do all this amazing stuff, but he saved me to show his unlimited patience. You know, anybody who has come to faith in Christ, and here's where I want to encourage those of you here today who don't know Jesus yet, is that you have to come to this reality. Let me just find it real quick. Um, where I am in my outline. I think I can find it. I thought I could find it. Yeah, here it is. He says, uh, Dana Orland says this. He says, basically, it's only when we collapse into honest acknowledgement we'll never be good enough. Can we really know the love and patience of God that Jesus offers us? May the Lord help us today to receive that and to live in his power 
and to be overwhelmed with God's goodness, that he is so patient with us and kind, that Jesus is so gentle and lowly, and he wants us to yoke himself again today so that the work we do, life we live, children are parenting, our grandparenting, the children that we love so deeply, we would say, this is easy. This is light. I get to do this. I don't have to do this. Let us pray. Father, thank you this morning for Jesus. You're interceding for us that right now you're so involved in our stories and we need to hear you praying for us. We need to know that you're praying and interceding for us. Forgive us that so how often we tune you out and we run away and we believe the lie that you don't love us as much as you say. And so heal us, O Emmanuel. May we feel your touch today, Jesus, we pray. And may you help us to know the wonders of your great love. Amen.